Hey everybody, welcome into this week's edition of the First Baptist Big Spring Sermon Podcast. Today we're pleased to welcome Jonathan Smith. Jonathan is the Director of Church Health Strategy for the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And he will be preaching from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. The title of the sermon is The Gospel Doors Are Open. Enjoy. Well, good morning to you. I just want to tell you, you have a wonderful pastor and wife and staff. You <laughs> you really do. Mark and Sherry have become wonderful friends really quickly. I feel like I've known them for years and years, and I'm excited to partner with them and just uh, to listen to their stories of how they are expressing uh, love and kindness and the message of Christ here in your community as they are taking life to this city and uh, to university students they minister to. Um, if I lived in this area, uh, this would be my pastor, and he feels like my pastor already. So please take good care of him <laughs> and continue to love him well. As we get ready to approach God's Word, would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the gift that is the person of Jesus. Lord, on our dying day, we will still be amazed at such a loving Christ who, as we have sung of today, gave his best, his life, his all for us. That we might live in forgiveness, not live in sin, not live in shame, but live in the light and live in the love and live in the grace and the mercy of Christ. We are just incredibly grateful, Lord Jesus, for you. And Father, for this local expression of the kingdom of God, for First Baptist Church of Big Spring, and all that they are doing to bring the truth of the gospel to this area, I just pray all the more uh, for them, for their leaders, for their staff, for their deacons, Lord, just for this local body, for these members, that they would be empowered to take the gospel message of Jesus forward and take the truth of the gospel to this community. So, Father, today as we open your word, as we think about how to take the gospel forward, we just pray that your spirit will lead this time. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. I got to experience on Friday my worst phobia. I'm going to guess that no one in the room knows the word of the phobia that I have. Trypanophobia. If you know it, when you come up afterwards and let me know that, um, I'll give you a present of some sort. Uh, because trypanophobia is the fear of needles, not of three things. Yeah, it's not it's not the fear of being hit by a pan three times. Trypanophobia is the fear of needles. So I had to go see the dentist. Now, to back up, when I got my covid vaccine last year, I passed out sitting down. They say you can't pass out sitting down. I can. The good thing about going to the dentist, however, is that you are laying down when they inject you in the mouth. So I saw stars, the whole thing. That's my worst phobia. My second phobia is one you're probably a little bit more accustomed to. 
Does anyone feel a little strange in closed places? You feel a little weak when you get in the elevator? I once got stuck in an elevator for 45 minutes, and I think that's what caused me to have that phobia that you're more familiar with. In fact, one of the times that I really expressed this phobia is this, this uh, picture I want to show you from a prison, from the Hoshenhausen prison in Germany, in Berlin. If you'd bring this, this picture up, you'll see as, as we were walking down the hallway in this prison, now this was in east, the old east side of Germany and the east side of Berlin, and this is a, a, a prison that was a prison post-World War II specifically run by the USSR. It was a Soviet secret police political prison. We went down two or three uh, uh, sets of stairwells down into this deep, dark basement where there was no natural light. And as we went down the steps and started walking down this narrow hallway, much more narrow than what this looks like, all these prison cells, I began to get the sweats a little bit. Now, this prison was a place that no one ever escaped from. Completely underground. As you might imagine, um, There were no facilities here for the people who were incarcerated to use. There was a peephole to see out and to see in. Your daily meal in this prison was two pieces of bread and water. Now, if you'll show the second photo, we stepped inside with the docent inside this museum, inside this this prison cell, one just similar to this. And she closed the door and started telling us stories about what happened to people in this prison. And oh, my goodness, <laughs> the panic started to set in. But when she made a few statements, first of all, would you believe it looks like this is a prison cell for one person? This is a prison cell for six people. Yeah. Just enough space for six people to be able to stand or to lay down, barely be able to sleep. Night and day confused. It was a place of terrible torment. But when she said these words, (laughs) when she said once the door was closed and locked, you were locked in for six months straight. All of a sudden, the door flung open and I went outside and went... Because I was in full panic mode. Not one person ever escaped the Soviet secret police political prison of Hoshenhausen. Not one person ever, ever escaped. Have you ever thought there's a person like that? There's a person whose life just seems so locked. How could the gospel ever penetrate this person's life? You ever thought that? Have you ever thought there's someone who you know who is just too sinful, too self-absorbed, Is there someone you're thinking of right now, someone that you have known who has caused you or others great 
pain. And you just think, how would the gospel ever break through? They have no interest in Christianity. Maybe they have an addiction life that's lifelong. Maybe it's a wayward person, a wayward child, or even a wayward adult that you were aware of. Maybe it's someone who's just hateful. You ever known anyone who's just hateful? And when you observe their life from the outside, you say to yourself, it seems like there's no way the gospel could break through. Maybe it's even an entire nation like North Korea, which is locked from the gospel. And you would just say there seems like there's no hope. There's no way this person could come to faith in Jesus. Do you have in your mind someone like that? Have you known someone that seems that way? I, I certainly have. Today, John the Revealer, John the Revelator from the book of Revelation has a strong word for us today about every person who's ever been born. And this is the word. The gospel doors are open. Take your Bibles, please, and turn me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. It is not Revelations, friend. There is no S on the end. It is just one. The book of Revelation, back in the Bible, chapter 3. It's this grand vision. If you've been around Christianity at all for any length of time, you know that's this incredible vision. Beginning at Revelation chapter 3, verse number 7 is where we find our text today. It's, it's the Lord's word to the church at Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia, just for a little bit of context, it's the sixth of seven churches spoken of in Revelation. It's modern day Turkey because of its location. It was the furthest east, but also the furthest north. It was supposed to the city of Philadelphia was kind of responsible to send the Greek and Asian culture northward. But they failed. The whole city failed at sending Greek and Asian culture northward. And so they were kind of looked upon as a not a great city. And that will kind of come out here in the text in some ways. Revelation chapter three, verse number seven. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ himself said to this church. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key, notice there's only one, not the keys, but the key, who holds the key of David. All of these letters to these churches begin with an identifying mark. And here the Lord Jesus refers to himself. He says, these are the words of him. This is straight from the mouth of Christ himself. These are the words of him who is holy and who is true and who holds the key of David. You see, the identifying mark of our Lord. You ever thought about this? Our Lord is loving and we can exemplify love to others. We can show love to others pretty naturally. Uh, God is a God of forgiveness and mercy and we can show forgiveness and mercy to others. But there's nothing natural about us being holy. Jesus Christ, our Lord, stands apart in holiness like nothing that we have ever understood or will understand. He identifies himself as this is the one who is holy and is true. In fact, God is so holy that it's all we can do to even put God into words. Human language is not capable of helping us to understand how holy, how pure, how lovely, how perfect is our God. He's completely other. One day we'll understand, but now we really just can't comprehend his purity, his holiness. And look what he says. 
who holds the key of David, the one key. Here he is helping this group of people to understand that he is to be identified with with David, with this, the Old Testament character of David, that he is the one promised Messiah is what this is telling us to us, telling us and telling these original readers that when the Old Testament keeps pointing forward and forward and forward to this king, that's David, who's wonderful. But then this coming king who will come one day, he's saying, I'm the one I am the one who holds the singular key of David. He is saying, I am the one true Messiah. There is no God like me. What he's doing early on, we know from history and from studying this passage that he is already beginning to argue against a group that was speaking in Philadelphia and to these churches. They were called the Judaizers, the Judaizers. Here's what the Judaizers taught. You must obey the law of Moses first, and then you can tack on Jesus. Once you have obeyed the 613 laws of the Old Testament, then you can come and approach Christ and receive him as your Savior and Lord. You had to perfectly follow the Jewish calendar, perfectly follow the Jewish festivals. Judaism, practicing the laws of the Old Testament, was a prerequisite to coming to faith in Christ. Now, I know something about prerequisites. I failed college algebra. Only class I've ever failed in my life. I should have taken pre-algebra, a prerequisite to get into algebra, but I was embarrassed and I begged and I said, can I just be in regular algebra? And I failed it miserably. To this day, I have... I have a, a recurring nightmare that I'm walking across the stage at Houston Baptist University to get my diploma. And they said, Jonathan Smith failed college algebra. <laughs> I hear that in my head all the time. Friends, there are no prerequisites to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot clean up our lives in any way, shape or form and then be able to approach Christ. No, we approach God lost in our sinfulness with a mustard seed of faith and he receives us. There are no prerequisites to us coming to faith in Christ. Verse number seven, what he opens, no one can shut and what he shuts, no one can open what Christ, what God opens, no one can shut and what he shuts, no one can open. You see, these These Judaizers were telling them that because they did not practice the Old Testament laws, they had no access to God because you also don't practice Judaism. Now, it's buried deep inside this text, and I've studied Greek for most of my life, and there's this word here that really helps us understand this concept. They were being told that if you don't practice Judaism, then you can't practice Christianity. There's a Greek word for that. It's baloney. That's the Greek word, Pastor. Do you know that? It's right here in the text. Not really. I'm just kidding. But what he's saying is, listen, what God opens, when God opens something up, no one can close it. When God closes something, no one can open it. And what he's saying is that through the person of Jesus Christ, as we just saying, because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, because of his wonderful cross and because he has made a way for any person to come in faith, to come to faith in Christ, nothing can stop someone from coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Every 
person that our God has knit together in his mother's womb and has come into this world has the possibility of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So great is the love of our God. So rich is his mercy and his grace that whatever he opens, no one can shut. A great friend of mine named Pastor Tim Rowell is the pastor of Flatonia Baptist Church in Flatonia, Texas, on I-10 in between Houston and San Antonio. Pastor Tim and I, he's probably my best pastor friend. We've been to Germany together multiple times to lead evangelistic baseball camps. And one time we went in advance in the, the spring in order to get baseball camp for the summertime ready. And we were told by this friend of ours, hey, whatever you do, um, you know, just when you're teaching baseball, don't talk about the Lord. Don't talk about church. Don't even tell them what you do. It could reflect, reflect poorly on us. We said, OK, so that particular day, there was no baseball to teach. So they asked us to go into an English class. So we went into an English class and we went in with our mindset. OK, kind of we got to be quiet about who we are and what we do and about our faith and. So we started speaking conversational English with these sixth graders. <laughs> and I'm, this is not a lie. This, they turned to Tim, who's pretty thin and pretty fit, and said, you look, you look like you work out a lot. Do you work out a lot? And he said, well, yeah, I do. And, and they said, well, that's good. And they said, Jonathan, do you eat McDonald's a lot? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. And so we, we were having this conversation back, back and forth. And this little kid in the back finally says, um, so what is it exactly that you do? And Tim and I look at each other and the teacher, knowing what we do, she says, oh, they are priests. And we looked at each other and said, we're priests. Sure. This other child raises her hand and says, I'll never forget it. She says in her broken English, um, in my catechism and my church, I am learning the Lord's Prayer. Can you say the Lord's Prayer in English? We look at each other and we say, we can. So this other kid says, hallowed. What does the word hallowed mean? The teacher says, why don't you write the Lord's Prayer on the board and tell us about each word? We went word for word all day long and told kids about the Lord through the Lord's Prayer when we had been told what? Do not tell them but they asked every time you see friends when the lord opens something up there is no one who can shut it verse number eight i know your deeds church of philadelphia see i've placed before you an open door that no one can shut he says it again i know that you have little strength yet you have kept my word and not denied my name he's recognizing here that this was a ridiculed people it was a small church in a big city they were ridiculed people because they hadn't sent Asian and Greek culture northward as they were told to do. And he says, I know that you have little strength. He says that because these were a persecuted people. You've kept my word. You've believed my teaching. You've not denied my name, even in the midst of persecution. He's saying you may be small in number, but you'll be big in my gospel. See, the number of people Taking the gospel forward is not the focus that any church should have. What a church should have is the power of the Holy Spirit inside the few people who are taking the gospel message forward. That's the focus. 
And he acknowledges and says, I know you have little strength. I know that you're tired, he's going to tell them. But you have an open door. Verse number nine. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan. Wow. These are the Judaizers he's referring to. Who claim to be Jews, but are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Woo! You ever turned to anyone and said, you know, I think that you're really from the synagogue of Satan. The reason he said that is because eventually the Judaizers said that Christ was not the Messiah at all. They went from a little belief to no belief. They eventually denied his name. They persecuted Christians for their faith. But he's saying in the midst of persecution, you stayed with the key of David. You stayed with a narrow gospel. Friends, we stay with a narrow gospel. Jesus Christ as the only way to eternal life. The one key. Why do we stay with a narrow gospel? Why do we stay with a narrow mindset? Why do we stand on one truth? Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. Why do we stick with a narrow gospel? Because a narrow gospel is the only gospel. There is no other gospel. Jesus Christ is the only way, truth, and life to be taken beyond these walls here out into your city. They had failed at sending Greek and Asian culture northward. But as we're going to see... They would not fail at taking the gospel message forward. Why? Because gospel proclamation is the mark of God's holy church. You boil ministry down to what it is supposed to be, and it is supposed to simply be gospel proclamation. And friends, not just by her pastors, not just by her staff, but by the church's people. This has always been God's plan that you are a gospel bearer, that the Lord has forgiven you and shown you mercy and grace and that you are to show mercy and grace and take the gospel into the dark places of this community. You see, no matter where you live, no matter where you are in North Korea today, in Big Spring, Texas today, For that person that you would say, it seems like the gospel can't break through. The reality is the gospel doors are open. Jesus Christ has opened the doors. He has opened the doors to you personally, to you personally. If your life seems crushed and broken, the doors are open for you. If you're hurting, if you're lonely, If you're tired, the gospel doors are open. If you're poor, the gospel doors are open. If you're marginalized, the gospel doors are open to you. And believers, the gospel doors are not just open for you to begin your faith. The gospel doors are open for you to continue your faith. For the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only what saves us, The gospel of Jesus Christ is what sustains us through the end 
of our race that every morning would look in the mirror and say, I am a son and daughter of the Most High God. The gospel doors are open to you. They're not only open to you, the gospel doors are open to others. The gospel doors are open to people that we might say it's surprising that God would save such a person. The gospel doors are open to your grown child with a drug addiction. The gospel doors are open to your small son. The gospel doors are open to that alcoholic family member. They are open to your neighbor. The doors are open to your coworker. They're open to your barber. They're open to your classmate. They're open to your husband. They're open to that person that you would say, that seems like there is no way, brothers and sisters, what I want you to hear today is that the gospel doors are open. They are open. But verse 11 will tell us that the gospel doors will not always be open. How could you say such a thing? Verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I am coming soon. One day, the opportunity for people to to place their faith in Christ will end. I am coming soon. Soon, He's saying, so hold on. You see, we too often in this church age view the concept of Jesus Christ returning as something to fear and something for us to look forward to. It's something for us to be excited about. It's something for us to pray for. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let your kingdom come. They're words of hope. I am coming soon. They're not words of terror. They're words of hope. To these people who first read it, they would have said, yes, Lord, come and redeem us from this persecution. I'm coming soon. It's not a threat. It's a beautiful encouragement. I'm coming. I'm returning. I'm redeeming. I'm taking you to be with me in glory. So look at what he says. I'm coming soon. Hold on. Hold on to what you have. I'm coming soon. Hold on, don't go, don't give in to persecution. Hold on, don't give in to attack. Hold on. And Christians today, we must hear these words as Christianity is constantly and has, as it's always been since the day that Jesus Christ resurrected. Christianity has been under attack. Don't think and believe that this is new. Christianity has always been under attack. But he says to them and he says to us, hold on. Verse 12, he who overcomes I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Would you contrast this to what the Judaizers said? The Judaizers said, you're you're not even lovable unless you first obey The commandments, the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, God can't even love you. And here he is saying, because of the work of Christ on the cross, to him who who overcomes, to him who places his faith in Christ, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Let me explain it. You know, in antiquity, earthquakes come and go, if you've ever seen pictures of Rome or Greece, what are the last things that remain after earthquakes? These great buildings is the pillars. And he's saying, 
in the temple of my God in eternity. I will make you a pillar. You will be the longest standing. You will be in the presence of God and forever you will stand. You see, people of Philadelphia would have associated with this because in A.D. 17, an earthquake virtually destroyed everything. So they would have walked through the town and what they would have seen was the pillars. And he's saying, because you placed your faith in Christ, you will stand in the presence of God forever as an unshakable and unmovable pillar. But not only that, You'll stand there stamped, marked. Look at the verse, verse 17. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. And I will also write on him my new name. I'm not sure how many of you have seen the movie Toy Story. Toy Story number three came out the year that our oldest son, Jared, left for college. And it's all about this character, this little boy named Andy, who played with toys, leaving and going off to college. And we watched that the summer that <laughs> that he left. And Heather was shaking her head like, we, Heather and I, boohooed the entire time. Now, there's this scene where all these toys he's been playing with, and there's one toy that's kind of Andy's favorite. It's it's Woody the Cowboy. And early on, when, when Andy was a little boy, he wrote the name Andy on the bottom of Woody's foot. And so Andy's handing these toys off to this little girl rather than putting them up and selling them or giving them away. He's handing them off to this little girl and he hands off all these pieces. And he comes to the last piece and he's still holding Woody the cowboy. And this little girl reaches for it. And he pulls back as if he can't hand this little toy over. He can't hand Woody over. And he looks in the bottom of Woody's boot and he sees in marker that's that's old marking where it says Andy. His name was written. And friends, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we're stamped with a name. He says it three times in this verse that I will give you my name. I will give you, put on you my name. That's why we get to stand as pillars forever in the presence of our God. Not because we were good or we were kind or we helped the homeless or we were, well, we were loving to others. No, the reason that we will stand forever in the presence of our God is because the name of Jesus Christ is written on our lives. It's not because we've been good or kind. It's because God is good and because God is kind and because God is loving and because God is merciful and because God is forgiving and because God is gracious. That's the reason that we will stand forever in the presence of our God. It's because of what God has done. It's because He has forever opened up the opportunity for every person who's ever been born into this earth to have a relationship with Him because of His shed blood on the cross because of His glorious resurrection. Indeed, for you today, for me today, the gospel doors are open. They're open. The gospel doors are open. In fact, this city of Philadelphia, 
This city that lacked strength. This city that was viewed as inconsequential of the seven cities that are spoken of in this book. The city of Philadelphia is a city that held on the longest. These words were written around 70 A.D. And it wasn't until 1392 that the church of Philadelphia no longer existed. For 1300 years Over a thousand years beyond some of these other cities, the city of Philadelphia was still proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. See, let me try to apply this to you today, friends. The reality is, though, that while the gospel doors are open, far too many Christians' mouths are closed. While the gospel doors are blown open by our Savior, far too many Christian lives are closed. And I will tell you today that your mouth will never open towards people outside the body of Christ until your life is open to them. See, God has given you life. And the responsibility you have as a Christian person, the responsibility this church has, is to take life to the city, to bring life and hope and forgiveness to people around you who don't know Christ as Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved you, and just as easy as it is for me to talk about my new nine-month-old grandson, it should be just that easy for me to speak of the glory and the goodness and the gospel of Christ. same is true for you. Your staff and I did just some basic estimates about Big Spring. We took the number of churches that are here approximately, and we multiplied that by the approximate number of sides of the average church in America. And we took that and, and doubled it, and we, we deleted that from the number of citizens. And we came up with approximately, we think, about 24,000 people in this town of 28-plus thousand aren't attending a church actively. They don't have a faith in Christ. So what is your role? Your role, because the gospel doors are open, is to take that gospel message forward to approximately twenty to 24,000 people in this community who need the life and the hope that only Jesus Christ brings. So you say, well, with such a huge task, where would I begin? You'd begin with just one. You'd begin believing that no one's too far removed from the gospel. No one's life is too far gone. You'd begin by believing and just knowing who lives across the street from you. Do you know their names? Well, it's the Joneses. Yeah, do you know their first names? Well, it's Bob and Jill. Do you know their kids' names? Turn your neighbors across and left and right and catty corner to left and catty corner to right. Do you do you just know people who are outside the body of Christ? Because the gospel doors are open to them. Because the scripture says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So today, believing that the gospel doors are open for you, would you be one who is a bearer of the gospel and who speaks the truth of Christ into the lives of others? Why? Because you're stamped. Because you're stamped with the name of Jesus. And Jesus Christ came to seek and to save 
those who were lost. People like me, people like you, all these people that are around you. What will you do with the gospel? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so great a salvation you've given to us. And what a calling to go to our own Jerusalem, our own hometowns, our own Judeas, our area, our state, our region, our, to go to Samaria, to go to people that we just don't associate with, to go to the ends of the earth. Lord, I, I still don't understand why you would choose to use men and women like us to take your message forward, but that's what you've done. We know that you could speak a word and all of creation would bow before you. Every person would bow before you. Someday we will. But Lord, you've chosen us to be your representatives, your ambassadors on this earth for this day. And Father, I just pray First of all, for anyone who's listening today, live or online or later in the week, who's thought to themselves, my life is too far gone. God can redeem him or him or her, but God can't redeem me. Father, I pray you'd speak to them. Help them to see and understand that you are a God of forgiveness. A God of mercy. If that's you today, if you would say, maybe you've thought for years that, the Lord can't penetrate this mess. He can. He will. He'll bring life to you, to your life and to your soul. Father, I pray you'd speak to them. And maybe you're here today and you're like, yep, I know someone. You were describing as just no way this person could come to faith. You, yeah, if you know someone like that, you, you pray for them. You befriend them. You love them. And what about those neighbors? God, I just pray that you'd put in our heart what your heart is. You left the glory of heaven to come to this place, this dirty earth, this sinful earth, because of love. God, put in our hearts a love for this city that we would take the life of Christ to this city. Emblazon it in us, Father. Emblazon it in this congregation, each individual and collectively. God, I just pray you would set our hearts, break our hearts for the people around us who don't walk in your ways. By the power of your Spirit. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.